welcome to the Business Success Club. I want to say welcome, and you are in for a treat in this group. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And on this podcast, what we really want to establish is this. How do hardworking entrepreneurs build profitable and scalable businesses whilst having the freedom and balance to do the other things they love? like family, vacations, sports, fun, adventures, and charity. So let's tune into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business Success Show with your host, Mac Atram, your business coach. And today you are in for a treat because I have a very experienced entrepreneur who's been an entrepreneur for over two decades. I want to hear more and a lot more. His name is Jim James and Jim James is currently based in the UK, but he has experience all over the world, especially Asia. Jim, welcome to the Business Success Show. Mac, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you make me feel kind of old when you say over 20, 20 <laughs> years, but yeah, 1995, I went to Singapore to start my first business at the tender age of 27. So I hate to say it, but it is nearly creeping on three decades of being self-employed. There you go. So you've got a, we've got someone here who's experienced over three decades as an entrepreneur, got a wealth of things to share. So we will be talking mostly about Jim's expertise, which is getting people noticed. So as you know, whichever market you're in, whichever industry you're in, often at some point it becomes crowded. So how do you get to stand out in a crowded marketplace? So much so that people say, hey, I wanna do business with you. Hey, can you help me? Hey, can we talk? So I've asked Jim to come on here so we can have that conversation because that's his expertise for nearly three decades, getting small business small businesses, large corporations and anything in between and solo one man band, one woman band to, be, to stand out in a crowded marketplace. So Jim, welcome again. Jim, tell us a little bit about your um, entrepreneurial background. Uh, go on. Yeah, well, I, I, look, I know that your audience will want to get to the juice of how they can get themselves noticed. So I'll keep it as quick as I can. But basically, you know, 27 went to Asia to start the PR firm. Uh, and then a couple of years later, started an internet business in Singapore, grew the agency ESOS Public Relations to be the largest tech B2B agency in Southeast Asia, and then moved to China in 2006 to start the agency there imported the first Morgan sports car to China. The reaction was so intense that I approached Morgan and became the importer for China. Uh, then started the British Business Awards in China and the British Motorsport Festival and imported some drinks from the UK called Wake. And so along the way, I've consulted big companies, like people like Nortel, Philips, for example, on their corporate communication strategy, over 500 clients through the agency. But I think the key, Mac, for your audience, for our listeners today, is that I've also spent my own money on my own PR. You know, so I've been the consultant, but I've also been the brand owner. Right. And I've used the same tools, same skills to build brands for big companies and for myself and for fellow entrepreneurs. So came back to the UK 2019, mm -hmm. having you know rescinded the business in China to you know, start my, if you like, my third chapter of entrepreneurship, having done Southeast Asia, North Asia, and now back in Europe. So that's a kind of my odyssey in a hopefully less than a minute. And then tell me something, while we're talking about um, East and West, 
In terms of doing business or specifically in terms of uh, PR or being noticed, whether it's as a brand or as an individual or as an influencer as a, or as a business owner, is there many, is there much difference? Is there much of a difference between East and West in that particular um, Oh, wow. That, that's that's a whole lifetime of experience. In, and that's a huge question. What's the difference between, you know, Asia, if you like, and and Europe and, and America? There are a number, but probably one of the key ones is the difference about the, the perception of the individual and the collective. So in in Europe and America, we kind of celebrate democracy, individuality, going your own way and so on. And in Asia, it's a much more collectivist sort of a social construct. So okay. the idea that you would be rebellious, you know, the sort of James Dean style, you know, I can wear jeans, Marlboro man thing, wouldn't go down so well in Asia. There's change with the young generation, but because that would be kind of anti-societal. So one of the underlying issues is there's a difference, a fundamental difference there around how individuals and society portray themselves and that manifests itself into brands. Another and I will share this because I've done B2B tech. I launched the world's first predictive text technology, for example, oh. invented in America, TGIC, T9, it was called, but it was first introduced in Asia, in South Korea. And the reason for that, which is the other perhaps point to mention, is that Asians love tech, right? Mm -hmm. So they have, you know, obviously with Sony being pioneering there with the Walkman, um, but when it comes to mobile and things tech, the Asian mentality, which is, can, tends to be more binary in the way that they, they think, um, in terms of the logic side of things, they love digital stuff. So that's another really big thing. So you'll see gaming and mobile and broadband technologies really pioneered in, in Asia, well right. ahead of uh, Europe and certainly ahead of America. Yeah, certainly well ahead of the West. And that's what I've noticed as well, having spent so much time in Asia over the last, um, well, not as long as you, but over a decade anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into this part. So for our, for our listeners here thinking, hey, I do like the sound of being noticed. I haven't thought about that before. So how do I get noticed? What, what are, what are some, maybe two or three tips you can give me as an entrepreneur that says, do these things and it'll differentiate you from the from the masses and you can then stand out so much so people are drawn to you. I think the first point I'd like to share is that everything is a story. Mm. And to think of your business as a story and yourself as a protagonist in that story. And if you do that, Mac, then you're not worried about scale. You're not worried about technology. And perhaps if I give you an example of how I used my own story to launch Morgan in China. Mm. So, so what I do is I, I imported a car to China, but of course they didn't have a budget. And I was a, you know, a, 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 an entrepreneur, a foreign entrepreneur in China with mm. a car. What I do is I drove that car into the Forbidden City. Okay. Yeah, I drove this Morgan Roadster, you know, uh, it's a British racing green, wow. silver, silver spokes and everything. And I parked this car in front of Tiananmen Square, you know, and that obviously is such a wonderful juxtaposition between, you know, communism and the emperors and so on and British tradition. 
It didn't take any money, but it took kind of just a story. My story was I'm bringing the best of British classic cars to Asia. So in that photo moment, I, I built a whole story, a whole narrative. I happened to take a journalist with me, by the way, that I that I'd met socially. And we got some pictures and with those pictures before the police came, which, of course, they <laughs> did uh, and wished us away. I got enough photographs to get that onto the front cover of a magazine. And, and from there, I was able to sell some cars. So I think, first of all, if you as an entrepreneur, take a step back and say, you know, just what am I doing here? Who am I doing it for? How can I create a story that other people will will get emotional about mm. because it's the emotional connection between you as an entrepreneur and your customers and your partners and your potential members of staff that gets the momentum in the business and and therefore in the brand so first of all i'd say and i call it storification uh mac i call it storification think about your business as a story not as a service not as a product not as a price but as a story so that'd be the first place I would start number one fantastic yep. good 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 so that would be the first place you start yep okay um and so what I'm hearing you say then is doesn't matter what business you're in uh, what brand you have the question to ask is what is the story here and stories like you said people emotionally connect with stories rather than the facts rather than here's a, a Morgan English classic car and it's got this size engine and it's got this color seats and it's got these kind of wheels. Yes, they can see that, they can read that up. But here's a story of this English gentleman bringing the classic English car to our region of the world. What's going on here? What is this? And the journalist tells a story. Now there's an angle. We need to contact this guy. I mean, he may have something that we can tap into here. And I think, you know, Matt, what you've what you've already done intuitively is you've articulated the power of the story. And that is that it gets the person who's listening or watching or hearing that story to ask questions mm -hmm. because the story doesn't answer everything. But if you lead with facts, if I'd come in this a V6, you know, a Euro five compliant, people are like, oh, OK, well, then you've answered those for me. Yeah. But if you start with a story, that means different things to different people. And that generates a curiosity around the brand and around you. And then you're seen as someone who is introducing and narrating that story. And that's a really powerful position and really the central role, pivotal role that an entrepreneur should play in their category. Absolutely. I love that. It's fantastic. Jim, for those listening, thinking, but Jim, I'm not a storyteller. <laughs> I'm not a storyteller. Where do I start? What's your answer to that? Well, I, I would say that we all tell stories, you mm. know, and we've always told stories and we've certainly always loved stories because they are, as we know, how people accommodate information. So we're storytellers intuitively, whether it's to our, our partners, to our friends, to our parents, to our children, to the people we play golf with, you know, or the people we go fishing with, oh, you should have seen the one that got away, right? We all, mm. we all tell stories. I think, Mac, what happens is that there becomes this kind of filter that says, I don't tell the right story or I don't tell the story in a very compelling way. So we set a threshold for ourselves, which then a bit like, you know, if you've ever run a marathon, you know, people go, well, I'm going to run, but I'm going to run a four, a four hour as opposed to the first one. Just, you know, 
get through the first half a marathon first, right. right? So we set these kind of big challenges for ourselves. We say, I'm not that articulate. I'm not that good at painting or drawing. It doesn't matter if you like the quality of the story. What matters is the authenticity of the story. So it's not the quality, it's the authenticity because wow. quality is actually really subjective. You yeah. might think that something's good. I may say something's bad. Authenticity though, how real I am is judged naturally as human to human. We go, I trust that person. Right. And what we're really looking for in that story is, oh, I can understand where that person's coming from. I trust that person to take me on a journey to solve my own problems, for example. So, so storytelling, I would argue that everyone is a storyteller. But the other thing is, of course, that storytelling is something that we can practice, right? Mm -hmm. It's something we can learn. So for anyone that's picked up a sport, you know, you don't pick up a tennis racket and start whacking the balls in a rally straight away, right? And no. you have to learn. And storytelling is, a, is an art if it's you know, going to become part of your business. There are many, many people that have storytelling courses now and so on. But it's an art of how we start to put in place the chapters, how we put in place what we call, you know, the hero's journey, for example. Right. So there are some tools and some methodologies and some great podcasts like a guy called Park Howell's got one called Business of Story. So, Mac, everyone is a storyteller. Some are maybe a little bit of a fibber sometimes. Some of us have to bend the truth. We're all telling stories. And it's the authenticity. But there are ways, really easy, free ways to learn the skill, to learn yeah. about timing, pacing, use of, of color, use of metaphor, use of allegory. There's, it's just a skill to be learned, to be enhanced. It can be learned. That's, that's, that's yeah. good to know. At least people know there is. Uh, help out there, books, podcasts, like you suggested as well. Now, Jim, I want to ask you this. You spent many years in PR, public relations, um, and helping brands stand out. Where, what, what part does public relation play for any small business? Because some say, look, I just want leads. I just, I just want to do my marketing. Um, you know, I, if I put money in public relations, I don't see a return. I just want to sell. I just need to sell. What part? And is there a particular size you need to reach before you say, actually, let me do some public relations now, or does it not matter? Okay, right. There are a couple of questions in there, aren't there, Mac? I think well, if I could take it the in reverse order, uh, I would say that there is no need to be large or small. Public relations is something that is actually happening whether you like it or not. It's happening for all of us because public relations is really what we radiate, right? It's the energy and the signals that we send out and how people then feel and interpret how we behave. So public relations, what we communicate is taking place all the time. What happens if you have an agency or if you start to think about it is it becomes a structured and a structured approach it becomes, if you like, a mindful approach to what people are thinking about you, a mindful approach to how you're communicating. But we all communicate whether we like it or not by what we wear, how we drive, what we put on LinkedIn. We're all communicating because other people are looking for clues and signals all the time about us. So I'd first of all say that, you know, PR, whether it's your local school, the primary school, for example, near you, mm -hmm. they have a reputation. That's why some parents do and don't want to 
go there. A restaurant has a reputation, mm. whether you like it or not. That's PR, right? They may not do any marketing, but that that restaurant that has good word of mouth, yeah, will succeed. And the one that has a bad word of mouth from friends and so on. So the second point then is about the role that PR plays in lead gen. If no one knows who you are, and the first thing that they receive is something from you about you and what they should buy from you, they have no, if you like, bank of trust built up about you and your brand, right? Mm -hmm. So if you go to a place and you've never heard them, never heard of them before, I say, if you go to a country and you've done no research before, when you get off the plane, you go to a completely new place. I went to Morocco recently, right? And we went to Morocco and my kids are like, oh God, it's very scary. You know, well, what, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, well, what language do they speak and um, what money do they use and so on, right? So that's why then people stay in the hotel because actually they're afraid of going out. But if you've done a bit of research before you get to Marrakesh, you know, mm. these are the souks, this is the food, this wow. is the so. So what's happening is all that work, all that knowledge that the market has about you is the PR. It's things that you've done or said or communicated so that when actually you go to that person and say, hey, I'm from this country. Oh, yeah, I've, I've already heard you work for Vodafone. I may not have bought anything from Vodafone already, but I've, I've already seen, I've read, I've heard. So I would say that what happens is the PR enables the funnel. Because without PR, people aren't going to even want to get into your funnel because they won't have got any awareness or any understanding. And most importantly, Matt, they won't have got any trust. True. And as you you know better than anybody, you know, because I know this is what you're doing when you're doing joint ventures and so on. If people don't trust each other, no, they're sure. not going to work together. So, so PR, I think, starts and is for any size, right? Because it right. is how you how you build a reputation for yourself. But I think without that, then there is no funnel because people have got too much distrust of your brand. So I would say it's happening whether you like it or not. So mm -hmm. you might as well embrace it and manage it and make it what you want it to be so that it really feeds the funnel. Great, great, great answer. You know, while we're on the subject of PR, because you've got such a rich, rich experience in public oh, helping, <laughs> helping yeah. people, helping organizations. Um, and what I'm, one thing I've found through doing you know structured public relations with agencies um, is that public relations actually helps to close the sales better it makes it easier to close the sales if someone's seeing you in my case in Forbes or Huffington Post or Sky Television or Guardian newspaper in my case it, it just makes it a sale easier because it, it it builds that level of trust like you said yeah and credibility max so credibility, it, it, because yeah. somebody else and if it's the media someone else that is trusted by your audience has already done some validation for you right so it's all about you know a journalist saying okay well i have all the journalists uh, and all the people i could interview i want to interview you mac because you mm -hmm. that means that then they've done some research They've seen that you are you know, trustworthy, you're honest, you can bring value to the conversation. So what happens is for the audience that then ring you or think about ring you, it, to some degree, they've abdicated some responsibility right. for their own due diligence, right? Because saying, 
the media's already done it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and of course, this is the issue now with social media, that you can create your own content in your own channels. And what some people are doing, though, is they're to some degree abusing that channel because they're saying, because I own it, I will say what I like to say about myself. Mm. And that's very, if you like, rewarding. And in the short term, what happens is when I work with clients, they say, I want you to tell the market this about me. And you say, well, actually, can I just reflect? That's not necessarily what the market thinks yeah. about you, or yeah. it's not necessarily what the market is thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. So what happens often is there's the disconnect map between what the company, the founder would like to say, often in a slightly insecure way, they want to convince people that they're right. Actually, they should use the social channels to prompt conversations, to share information as a thought leader, you know, right. rather than to be saying, I'm good, you know, this is why you should work with me. So that's why often PR gets a bad name. It's not because the process is bad but how it's managed is often misunderstood and come at from the wrong direction. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got it. Got it. Well, it's a great point that you brought in terms of social media and people abusing um, their particular platform. Uh, and, and there's nothing more powerful than someone else singing your praises, someone else building your, endorsing you, building your credibility, than you do that on your own. So I wanted to go down a, a specific route now uh, Jim, which is how, in your eyes, how has public relations changed over the last three decades to where we are now? Because clearly it, it, it must have done, or it, it would have done. So I'm talking about, you know, paid for strategic public relations, um, both to promote a brand and also maybe to rescue a brand. You know, we've had some incidents in the past few years where the, the CEO has said this and the company has gone down because of badly managed PR. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And three decades, I mean, really, you're talking about the introduction of the internet, obviously, 95, 96, yeah. right, with Yahoo uh, coming on board and then and then mobile, you know, from 2006 onwards, really. Well, that's the iPhone. Um, but uh, late 90s being, being like the Ericsson's and Nokia's dating myself a little bit here, mate. <laughs> I think there's a, there are a couple of strands that are, are fundamental changes uh, in the way that PR has impacted entrepreneurs. Overall, by the way, the greatest transformation is the empowerment of the entrepreneur. Technology has democratized communication in a way that you could never have dreamt of. You know, it's probably the, the greatest changes since the Gutenberg press, because now you and I can you know, make video. Uh, I was doing an Amazon live stream yesterday with some people in uh, in Detroit. Okay. Right? So, you know, with with a, an internet connection and a screen and a camera, anyone can communicate either one to one or one to many, and, and that's a fundamental shift, and that's transformative for entrepreneurs that know how to do it. So that's the first thing. The second is that the trust has really dissipated. So, you know, 20, 25 years ago, if you read something in the Times or the Guardian mm. or online, you go, OK, well, it's written in the Times. That's it. And there was one authority and there's kind of one truth. And there was the BBC and, the, right. uh, and then, the, you know, BBC Four. Right. So there was there was the truth. And then there was kind of what people maybe gossiped about. But in the last certainly 15 years, 
really this degradation of trust. The proliferation of channels has meant that the editorial integrity hasn't always been as rigorous across all the channels because some have gone for commercial gain, for example, or for sensationalism. So the second thing is that the channels no longer have the trust that they used to have and the authority. Um, and, and the third is the pace of communication, right? The pace, and not just only locally, but globally. So technology, which I mentioned, you know, at the beginning of this, is responsible for really the globalization of information simultaneously, right? I mean, you, we've all read The World is Flat, right? The Friedman yeah. book. You know, I remember back in, you know, early 90s, we would do a product launch in, in Europe at a trade show. And then a week later, you could do a, a product launch in Asia a week later. And the people in Asia had not heard any news. There was no bleed. Mm. But now, really, we just schedule for time zones, right? You try and find the best time zone for a simultaneous global launch. Right. Right. Yeah, so I did. I did um, some work for a company called Ineos, the Grenadier, this new four by four, fabulous okay. car. You know, and we were launching it in Indonesia, Vietnam, and Thailand for for Grenadier. But at the same time, it's happening in in Germany, and in Austria, and also in America. Right. So the globalization of the message is also, um, and the sort of simultaneous nature of it, means that from a content perspective. As an entrepreneur, you need to be much more prepared. It used to be that you could prepare information for one market and then send it to another. But now you need to have these reserves ready. Uh, so kind of you need to have your artillery fully armed before you even shoot the first bullet. You can't shoot a bullet and then see what comes back to you. Right. You have to be fully prepared. So really impact of technology, degradation of trust, and if you like the simultaneous global nature of information. Those would be three. There are a few more. Those, those <laughs> would be journey over three decades, and I think you've summed <laughs> yeah. it up very, very well there. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Jim. By the way, for those who want to connect with you, what's the easiest, um, best method to um, follow up with you, connect with you? Yeah, well, you can come to the unnoticed.cc, which is a website I just built for the podcast, and I have the the books on there as well, and my contact details are there. So just the unnoticed.cc, Mac. I think that's probably the easiest place. Awesome. I'm going to come back to you in a moment just to give us some of your last words in regards. Anything else you want to talk about unnoticed or um, PR or anything like that. Uh, for those who are with us, our audience here, I want to say make sure you follow, you subscribe if you need to, and also leave some comments in terms of what have you picked up from Jim, James in this conversation here? What have you learned about PR? What difference does it make to you? What questions do you have for Jim? and anything else that you enjoyed about this particular show. So Jim, over to you. Anything you want to add, any final words about um, being no getting noticed or anything about PR before we finish off? Yeah, Matt, there's a, there's a new formula that I'm, I'm working on called the Active Communications Index. And it's basically content times channels times frequency. And it gives you a number, okay? Hmm. And the reason I'd like to share that is because most entrepreneurs, most business owners, in fact, most marketing people don't know how much PR to do. They don't know how much to do. And you get a really lumpy performance. They do a lot at a trade show or a product launch and then they go on holiday. So the key to communication is consistency. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be 
high frequency, it does have to be consistent. Right. So I would say the last message to leave with, with you know, our listeners today is that, you know, at least when you start communicating, communicate consistently. Don't worry about being perfect. Don't worry about being uh, the best. Be authentic. Let's come back to my first point. It's about being authentic, not about being perfect. And to think about the content that you produce being for other people, the channels being the channels, which is where they like to receive information rather than where you're comfortable necessarily yeah. talking. Ideally, they're one in the same, by the way. I mean, if they're your audience, you're probably hanging out in the same kind of places. And in terms of frequency, cadence can change according to industry, according to demographic. There isn't, there isn't a right or wrong. But what is right or wrong is to be consistent because in order for people to trust you and to get to be receptive to your message, they have to come to expect it. Just like you know, if you're a parent, you give your children consistent feedback. Or if you're a manager, you give consistent reviews to your team. Communication with the media or through your own channels is the same. So the Active Communications Index, ACI, I've got some charts and some things about, about this. But the, the whole idea of PR is that you're consistent. You're yourself and you're consistent and that you're just doing your best to serve your audience. And then actually, Mac, it's, it's good fun, right? Uh, because yeah. if you do it right, you help people that you care about and in turn, your business will grow. Makes sense. Uh, nothing else I need to add to that. Well said, Jim. So on that subject, I would say, Jim, thank you very much on that note to um, for bringing your wealth of information, your wealth of expertise and um, furnishing us with all that as well. So I want to say thank you for your time and your energy. Mac, thank you so much for inviting me on your brilliant podcast. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you all for listening in. Until next time, continue to share, continue to follow, continue to subscribe and also leave notes uh, and let us know what you thought. Mac Atram here, Business Success Show. Until next time, bye for now. Take care.